can't see you <laughs> welcome back to the Fremont podcast I don't know if this all right everybody well got an episode today we got to cover a lot of ground so we're just going to jump right in but we're going to be talking about DEI good idea bad idea recently you, you might have seen the uh, Chick-fil-a stuff where they you know put I guess implemented this program or I don't know if it was an old program they rebooted and just rebranded or whatever but we're going to talk about that today and why it's ultimately not a good idea um, but I want to start b- b- back in the back in the Dizay we we did an interview with Monique from Center for Biblical Unity and I actually asked her about this topic but I put it on the Patreon only um, episode, like little episode thing. So, um, I wanted to bring that out and let you guys kind of check out what, what she said back then. Cause I think it's a good start to this conversation. Let me pull it up right here. All right. And I'm going to play this. So y'all take a listen to this real quick. This is, this is our original question to her. Here we go. Let me watch. ask you one about <laughs> diversity, equity, inclusion departments, um, at Christian organizations, thoughts. No. No, just why not? No, No, because diversity, equity and inclusion automatically come with a certain set of principles, precepts, Mm. tenets. Um, And so if you want to have an office of unity, I I could be cool with that. Like I I could get on board with how do we do unity within our institution? But the idea that. Um, we are looking specifically for diversity, specifically for equity, and specifically for inclusion. These are three words that have a ton of meaning to them mm. and cultural, um, cultural not just baggage, but cultural mm. tenets. And so if I am looking, let's say, at my Christian university for a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, and I am not aware that inclusion also is deeply rooted in LGBTQ plus theory. Well, when the person who identifies as two-spirit decides they wanna come along and apply for a position, well, how do I say no? Mm, We have to understand what these words actually mean and that they have a lot of meaning embedded in them. And we don't have to use or adopt the cultural narrative. If we are going to be the set apart ones, we can truly be the set apart ones and impact culture as being someone who is set apart. And I'm not saying you have to be so set apart that, you know, like you don't believe that the sky is blue or, you know, that the earth is round. (laughs) But we do want to make sure that as we participate with each other and with culture that we are using biblical terms. Unity is a biblical term. Love her. Yeah, man, that was great. And Nerva was identifying as two spirit last week, but I got, <laughs> but I got it back on one spirit, y'all. Uh, I'm back in line. You back in line. Um, so that that was a great little succinct, mm-hmm. you know, capturing of DEI. Just you know, it's it comes with presuppositions. It comes out of a framework. It wasn't like, it wasn't like these terms that people were vying over. It was actually birthed in the framework of critical theory. Um, and, and has all those things built into the very essence of it. And it's not so ultimately I'm going to argue, you know, because actually Neil Shinvey, good, good, good friend of the podcast. And we have learned, you know, a ton from him over the years on this topic and it got nothing but, but, but mad love and respect for Neil. Um, 
but he wrote an article and, and it came out right around the same time as the Chick-fil-A stuff was dropping. And he was saying this, you know, there's a there's a way to do DEI rightly. He was a talk he actually gave at a Christian university. Um, I'm ultimately going to going to break that down and, and analyze that in this conversation and come out actually probably disagreeing with Neil, like on the whole with his approach on it, but also recognizing like he does bring up some good points that are worth thinking through. And um, and I know Monique and, and Krista are good friends with Neil, too. So I don't know if they are, if if Monique would still hold to that with Neil. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where she would say on that. But I think this, this is a good starting place to think through DEI. Any thoughts so far before I jump to Yeah, I'm curious to know um, Neil's position. Like, how, how can you do it biblically with those same presuppositions. So right. It'd be interesting to hear what he has yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is interesting. And, and what I like about Neil is like, even when you disagree with him, he always lays things out clearly. He's a, he's a good thinker, um, mm-hmm. clear thinker, very analytical. So it's easy to follow his, his train okay. of thought and find out where, you know, from my perspective, like he missed the, he missed the sum here. <laughs> okay. But in his overall calculus problem, like the whole, in general, it's, it's not bad. It's just a couple key points where I think it, it it goes it just goes the wrong direction so ultimately undermines the attempt to rescue DEI okay um, as a as a legitimate enterprise for a Christian institution um, but what I want to what I want to start with the reason I even brought this topic up because we got an email from a listener who is an owner and operator of a Chick-fil-A store and I won't say where I would keep them anonymous I did ask her permission to talk about this and they they did grant that um, but I told them I'd rather you know keep it anonymous for their sakes um, but anyways they, they're an owner operator Chick-fil-A been with the company I think 10 years or more and they have they saw this DEI thing they got an internal message I don't know if it was I don't. I can't remember how recent it was. Mm-hmm. It was the past couple of years or whatever. But they got a message about this, and so they raised some questions and and started like like kind of reaching out to some of the higher ups that they had relationship with in the company, and were were dismissed. Kind of like you know ah oh, this and that. Like they just the people weren't taking their objections to this DEI program very seriously. And so at this point, this person decided to write um, a letter, like an open letter to these to the executive committee at, at Chick-fil-A. And I want to read. I don't know if I'll read the whole thing here. I got a lot of material to cover, but I'll try to I'll try to read it quickly, too. So if you're if you need to, if it's too fast, you can slow it down. But I think I think it'll be all right. So I love this brand. This is what they write. I love this brand. I love the principles that Truett firmly held as he built this brand. I joyfully signed up to carry his name and in turn the Kathy family name as I now do my best to faithfully steward the opportunity of being an owner operator. The values on which Chick-fil-A were built were not just something I found nice, but the core motivating factor for me wanting to commit my entire career with Chick-fil-A. I didn't necessarily have a passion for the food industry. I had a passion for aligning my life and living out my guiding values. I evaluated my many vocational options and filtered them based on which I felt would allow me to live out my faith. Chick-fil-A was the perfect fit. We are not a church, but we are unapologetic about biblical principles dictating the direction we wanted to go. Now I'm going to pause there. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that is true of Chick-fil-A. And that's yes. the part that like people are like, man, we, we want you guys to hold on to that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Continuing on here, I forsook more money and different career opportunities to be a part of what I felt was 
alignment to a higher vision to corporate to the corporate purpose Truett, Dan, Bubba, and the rest of the team put together in the 80s. I greatly fear we are turning from that purpose and in turn leaving our most loyal operators and most loyal guests behind. I have asked our executive team at our planning meetings each of the past two years to help me understand the value add of DEI department. It's not even just a department, but labeled a strategic bet, quote unquote, as if our future growth was dependent on it. Specifically, I asked the following. Now, before I go on, I guess in these internal communications, they labeled doing this program a strategic bet on behalf of the company. I guess they're like they're I'm I'm not sure the full. And and he's even asking that, like, uh, I think they're they're trying to place like what's going to best serve the growth of the company. So we're betting on. That this doing this DEI thing is actually going to help us more than it hurts us. Gotcha. Okay. They must. I mean, <clears throat> so, some people are slower learners. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, so how does this large investment make Just us grow, m- make us as an organization better? What metrics are you using to evaluate if this department is successful? What is wrong with simply living out honor, dignity, and respect? Are you implying that owner operators are racist and need these tools? The response across the board has been the same as if with no conviction behind it. Quote, we are living out our corporate purpose. We aren't doing anything different than we always have been. Unquote. The lack of clarity and seeming dismissal when asking these questions in person has led me to pen this letter. At best, your response is dangerously ignorant. At worst, you are hiding behind vague responses because your team knows the malicious intent of DEI, and you don't want to speak openly to operators about the truth on why we have this department. I think that was a great sentence there. I genuinely trust Andrew and the Kathy family's heart. Now, pause for a second. I think Andrew, if I'm not mistaken, is the is the current CEO of okay. Chick-fil-A. I think he's Dan's son and um, maybe 43 years of age. I'm pretty sure, but... Um, so going back to here, uh, let's see, I genuinely trust Andrew and the Kathy's family heart. So I'm going to assume you are not fully aware of the dangers. I pray you receive this as a loving rebuke from a friend and not a hostile attack from an enemy. Mm, That's good. I like that. I fear a department devoted to DEI opens the door to very unbiblical ideas of thinkers like Ibram X. Kendi. These ideas have become authoritative in the DEI push over the past few years. And view success only as culture change. That's important because that is definitely the case. It is definitely influenced by Abram X. Kendi. And the only progress that's measured is change in statistical outcomes for groups that are on the oppressed side of the the binary. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a power shift, that kind of thing. So uh, continuing on. Inherently, Chick-fil-A cannot say our DEI department is doing what we have always been doing because definitionally that isn't DEI's aim as stated by those who defined DEI long before Chick-fil-A Trust. started. Our corporate purpose starts with, quote, to glorify God by dot, 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 unquote. This is where I and many others have the biggest issue. If we are going to claim that we must back that up, sorry, if we are going to claim that, we must back that up. Instituting a DEI policy is inherently committing the sin of partiality. Now, he's exactly right about that. The tenets of DEI would have you judge people on their external attributes as opposed to merit. Mm. DEI requires discrimination. It is just a form of discrimination which our woke culture approves. 
This framework is fundamentally different than treating all with honor, dignity, and respect, which is in quotes. Ooh. That's a Chick-fil-A, you know, quote from the, from their organization, which Chick-fil-A has always strived to do. Better at together, that's, the, that's in quotes, is a phrase of three words strung together that don't mean anything. Please stop hiding behind fluffy language and instead be forthright. Please define what success is for this eerily timed new department. DEI does not mean what most may assume it means. Our, culture, our, our current culture engages in what I call linguistic theft. Linguistic theft. Words are often redefined. If you are not staying alert, as 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, we will be devoured. The words composing DEI hold vastly different meanings in, in our culture, regardless of how we think uh, we define DEI at Chick-fil-A. So he's going to give, you know, break down each of these words as they're defined by the people that crafted this okay. doctrine. So, Diversity now means more than just having a variety of viewpoints represented, which Chick-fil-A was already doing. Diversity in current practice focuses almost solely on physical and cultural differences and thus has to inherently believe in the concepts of privilege and structural marginalization to be achieved. Ironically, diversity now tends to mean uniformity of viewpoint because there isn't a place for us operators who thoughtfully have come to the conclusion that we don't need a DEI department. In other words, there's no place for that viewpoint to be included, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's an essence of when you throw these terms around, like they don't they don't really mean what you think they mean. The D in DEI continue on aims to privilege the marginalized and marginalize the privileged. E equity is not equality. Equality is treating everyone equally, which is not just a good idea, but a biblical command. Equity is a redistribution of social and potentially economic capital across the intersectional hierarchy. It is a focus on outcome versus opportunity. What outcomes within Chick-fil-A were so bad that we need to arbitrarily cede authority to Kimberly Crenshaw's ideas of intersectionality? The truth is all people are made in the image of God, but not all ideas and not all actions are. Outcomes have no guarantee of being equal in any area of life. This isn't a value statement, but rather a natural law. So how can we assess when we at Chick-fil-A are finally an equitable company, right? Right. How? You can only do it by looking at these stats and and saying, oh, man, we've equaled the outcomes, and that requires partiality on the input side. And that's what, you know, Thomas Sowell has done vast empirical studies on is noting, like, when you don't load the dice on the front end or you don't, you know, stack the deck, then almost inevitably um, inequity results. Mm. Like disparities is part of the natural law. Like that's part of how things are. Some people are more talented. Some people have um, better starting positions economically or with a family. Like there's all kinds of things, cultural practices, all those things inevitably lead when when you when you kind of take your hands off from the top down to uh, to disparities in the outcomes. So you have to you have to intentionally change that and and shift it on the front end to get the which is you know partiality from a biblical perspective. So you can't commit to equity is defined by the DEI programs without running against biblical justice is what he's saying in essence. So inclusion is the antithesis to meritocracy. Inclusion now says not that we are kind to all, 
but that everyone's feelings are equally as valid, and thus requiring accommodation at all costs. Except for his. Right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that, yeah, he pointed out that okay. earlier, right? It is the embodiment of an idea called standpoint epistemology, which in layman's terms boils down to my truth and your truth, not the truth. Mm. Worse yet, in order to, to be properly inclusive, an organization must exclude certain ideas, certain practices, or even certain words. It is due to inclusion that some companies now cannot say ladies and gentlemen. I think Disney stopped doing that. Oh, my gosh. Moving on from an indisputable truth that humans can embody two genders. What happens when someone in our organization doesn't feel included by the phrase glorify God because they worship something else? Mm -hmm. It's one thing to not force anyone's particular religion on another. It's entirely different to change our culture because some people feel a specific way about our purpose. Nothing in these def new definitions is glorifying God. By simply having this department, we are ceding truth to those who don't care about biblical principles, especially as we choose to continually double down on it. It is fundamentally not caring when we as individuals don't push others to truth. If we actually want to be the most caring company in the world, quote unquote, like you claim we do, then running from the truth will never get us there. We are enslaving ourselves to the pressure of the highly volatile culture surrounding us. Last, last little bit here. I'm asking you to stop our DEI program now. Take the painful hit of the protests that will follow and actually glorify God. The longer this continues, the harder it will be to correct course and faithful owner operators will be left behind, grossly impacting the culture and direction of this company for future generations. I desire better for us. This isn't trivial, like an invasive vine choking out a long-standing, thriving plant. By its nature, the demands of DEI will continue to increase. <clears throat> That's exactly right. Last, last uh, sentence or two here. I ask that you show our business partners and our guests that you will not become leaders and we will not become an organization that will bow to the fickle idols of culture. And even if this means slowing short-term business growth, because if we trade truth for lies, on what foundation will we be standing when the stronger storms hit? If you want to grow in your confidence in knowing what you believe and why you believe it, if you want to ground your faith in biblical Christianity and step into who God has called you to be, I want to tell you about a great program put on by Impact 360, and it's called Propel. Propel is a one-week transformational leadership and discipleship experience where high school students gather together to be grounded in a biblical worldview as they learn how to follow Jesus, have a godly influence, learn how to disciple their peers, and boldly live out their faith in their daily lives. So they're having two sessions this summer. The first one is June 19th through the 25th, and the second one is June 26th through July 2nd. These programs fill up really quickly, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So we'll put the link below if you're interested in looking into it. And we'll see you this summer. That was well written. Yeah, very well written. Um, it's awesome. I think he uh, hit on like major, major themes there in a clear way. Ooh, it's, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A was the, well, no, there's some other organizations still standing, but Chick-fil-A was the, the fast food. Right. Icon of just the Christian way. Yep. Such a beautiful culture. I, I repent of my ways, but I don't have hope. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like 
you know, this is just a sign that yeah. this ideology is spreading everywhere to yeah, everyone's doorstep to every single organization that exists and so it can feel like a blow when you see some an organization such as chick-fil-a bow yes and take their stand yeah ma'am yeah and and this this to this this hard. relates back to when we address you know we could see this sort yeah, of I saw, yeah. trajectory uh, if you go back to I can't remember if it was season one or two right but mm-hmm. when they first uh stopped funding FCA and, and Salvation, Salvation Army, Army and the reason given for it and all yeah. that kind of stuff it was that was the initial bow and this is how this happens like this is why we said back then you cannot give the the woke ideology an inch mm-hmm. it's not something it's like that they vine that chokes they won't out compromise. Like, they oh won't. yeah yeah they 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 will not relent it's their way or the highway yeah yeah and they're going to take you like they'll take you the full route they're not going to take you toward their city or toward their destination and drop you off along the way and mm-hmm. let you stay there no they're like once you get in this car it's locked from the inside yeah. and you're going the whole distance um and it gets harder and harder actually to get out i don't now i i I share your your uh, Sorry, I pessimism, <laughs> but I do think you know what I what I even responded to this listener on the second email. I was like, you know, I think it's worth fighting for. Still, mm-hmm. I think there's enough good people there. There's enough of a foundation that if you get enough people behind something like this sure. to and get them to really look at it, you know, I'm still I'm still holding out hope that maybe maybe they don't know what they're getting into here. You know, it might be a fool's hope, but if you get enough strength, maybe maybe it's not too late to turn this thing around and and sh- make a shift, or maybe another company can learn from this. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But we we either way we gotta we gotta we watched Endgame uh, last night, and so you know sometimes you gotta go out there and, yes. and face Thanos, and okay. and in this case it's the ideology in the face of it all. in the face of it all. Okay. So I think that when I when I was thinking about this, I think Monique is is exactly right. I think this listener is exactly right. Um, but I can hear like one potential response would be like, well, what about what Neil is saying with this DEI? Can can it be done rightly? Can maybe Chick Fil A, maybe it can be in line with their values if they make some adjustments. So we've had that conversation with Christian nationalism, right? Is the is is there is there a way to biblically define it and implement it? Um, that takes out some of the, some of the more, I guess, unsavory elements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now there is a difference between those two that I'll actually get maybe get into, and I hope we have time to really go through this. We may have to split this up into two parts, if if not, but because I think it's worth really digging in on this article and and going through this. So if you're following along, if you're watching, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up here so you can actually um, follow along with us. So this is a talk Neil recently did at Life Pacific University. So it's, it reads more like a talk than a, than a book, but I think you'll still get the idea um, of what he's saying here. It's called DEI Done Right, Disentangling Christian Community from Critical Theory. Okay. So he says, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to try to highlight the important parts here. The phrase diversity, equity, inclusion elicits vastly different responses from different people. Liberals tend to view DEI as a crucial component of any institution truly committed to social justice. There's another buzzword. Conservatives tend to view DEI as empty virtue signaling at best and wholly corrupted enterprise at worst. So which is it? 
Now, I would, and I think Neil would say this too, he's setting it up for his talk, but actually those aren't in opposition. So, so it's not which is it one of those two. That both of those are true. Like the liberals are true. The liberals are right about that. The DEI is a cru- crucial component to any institution committed to social justice, be- because that social justice is critical theory. Okay. So it's not like once you understand social justice as biblical injustice, you would say, yeah, yeah, they're right. Like DEI is committed to that. It's committed to the woke ideology. So that's right. And the conservatives are right that it's a wholly corrupted enterprise. <laughs> so I would say not either or. So he, he goes on, he says, well, here's the bad news. I'm going to argue that most DEI programs are rooted in contemporary critical theory, a deeply unbiblical ideology that Christians must reject. Now, what's what do you see in that in that sentence? Sorry, I'm testing here. I know it's early in the morning, too. But if the, the word here that's important that I think that that he's sort of like that's going to help him soften the blow of DEI, one word is most. You see that? So he says, I'm going to argue that most DEI programs are rooted in contemporary critical theory. Now, I think that is just false. How so? I think all. Oh, okay. So, so you see how you can soft it there with most? I, and, and now, all is a harder claim, but I think he's using most on purpose. To, to say, because okay. okay. if you say most, then there are there's already some. some, at least, that aren't committed to cri- critical theory. Okay. But I'm, I'm just going to let you know, like, I've seen probably, I don't know, close to 100 of these DEI programs, and I haven't seen one that's not committed to critical theory. Okay. And so, and, and that's, not a, that's not an accident. That's, that's because the program on, yeah. is based yeah, on that. Yeah, it's based on that. So I think there's already, like, there's already kind of like a tricky softening here. Not a tricky, because I don't want to say he's doing it in a, in a tricky manner. But um, I think that that sets you up to not see that empirically, like, I'm open. Like, if, if anybody's listening here and you can find a DEI program that's not, um, what, is, what is his word here, uh, that's not rooted in contemporary critical theory, send it to me. I haven't seen one yet, and I've seen a ton of them. That's all I'm saying. So I would say, instead of most, I would say I'm going to argue that while every DEI program that I'm aware of <laughs> is rooted in critical theory, it doesn't theoretically have to be. I think that would be a better argument. Okay. Theoretically, I just haven't seen it. Um, maybe he has. And I know he does a lot in this, so I'll give him you know the benefit of the doubt there. Um, so let's let's see uh, this fundamentally unbiblical and understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion is so ubiquitous that I'm not very comfortable with Christians even using the phrase diversity, equity, inclusion. So I think that that is good. Like mm-hmm. I think he's not comfortable with that. But I will say this. I think he is more comfortable with that than he is with Christian nationalism. And I think it should be reversed because Christian nationalism doesn't necessarily come out of a framework that is inherently anti-biblical. It's still up for grabs definitionally. Um, And you have some people that are under that umbrella that are unsavory, you know. But the definitions to me aren't nearly as problematic as DEI. And I I just think it lets you kind of know. Like, this is more the perspective Neil comes from. And I understand, like, he will say explicitly, like, his main aim is not political. Um, he's not really is his his ministry purpose is not really to get into those issues. He's trying to keep the church pure with not falling into woke ideology or into like some kind of racist thing. 
Interesting. Okay. So for him, I think he's a he leans more toward being a little more comfortable with DEI than he is with Christian nationalism. I think it should be the opposite way, but that's just a minor point. Uh, so let's see. So he says, now since Marcus invited me and since he's the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Life Pacific University, I have about 10 seconds to turn this talk, talk around before he shuts off my mic and cuts the video, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, but hear me out. My claim is that while most DEI programs are rooted in critical theory, we can think about these concepts in ways that are compatible with Christianity. And again, that most word, I think, softens it. Um, yeah. I would say that everyone I'm aware of is rooted in critical theory, but maybe we can, you know, create, concoct our own version. Uh, in other words, he says, we can see our churches, this is important, churches, universities, and institutions as places where div diversity, equity, and inclusion can be fostered, provided that we define these terms in a biblical way and explicitly reject definitions rooted in critical theory. My aim here today is to show you how to do that. Okay. Now, interesting. in theory, yeah. I think it's possible to define anything any way you want. Like, you know, when you look at, at philosophy books or theology books, a lot of times, especially scholarly ones, they'll spend like the first five chapters saying what they mean by certain words. And sometimes they're given idiosyncratic or unique definitions to their own terms. And that's, you know, that's a practice that you can do. I don't think it's a good idea, though, to do that with things that are used like this, like in the real world, because it almost never happens rightly like that. Um, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be a good idea for, for me to redefine white supremacy, for instance, as um, just a love for Christianity. <laughs> Right. Or oh, or fascism. Like I'm going to I'm going to redefine fascism as um, just a good a, a proper love for one's nation. Yeah. And it's it's like if if you're redefining something, unless you're the architects of the ideology, does it spread and push the same? And, you know, it's like, yeah, does it carry water because you're yeah, going under the same heading? Right. And you might be adding to. Right. But not necessarily restructuring. Yes. So but I'm still. But so it, it, I, I want to clarify what I'm doing here, what I'm going to do, because I want to I want to just make this super clear. OK. It doesn't work, practically speaking, to do DEI from a Christian perspective. As far as I can tell, I haven't seen it done yet and i've seen it tried in christian institutions that are otherwise very faithful and aware of these issues so i haven't seen it done practically <clears throat> the very best case scenario i could ever imagine would be somebody like neil crafting it for me like if i was if i had an institution i was like i'm going to try dei and i want to do it christianly I would hire Neil to to craft that. Like he's got the intelligence, he's he understands the woke ideology and he tries to be biblically faithful. And what I want to say is even this version that Neil tries to craft is problematic. Okay. So if That's even good. if even he can't do it at a theoretical level it without done. I would say don't try it in a million years. Just hold on to that idea. If even our brother Neil, who's amazing at this stuff, falls into problems with his right. theoretical DEI with no social pressure even put on him. 
Like this isn't some kind of scenario where people are fighting at some school about CRT. Yeah, this is just a theoretical own, exercise. Even in his theoretical exercise, it falls prey to bad to unbiblical ideas in my perspective that I'm going to try to show. Okay. Hold that thought, okay? You got it. So uh, let's let's see. Uh, here's here's the outline. What's going on with culture? I'm going to skip through this. He talks about the background, like how much the the Great Awakening. Well, there there is some. Uh, some good stuff worth mentioning here real quick. This I've, I've showed this before, but the Smithsonian Institute published an infogram on the aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture. This is the Smithsonian. It listed things like objective, rational, linear thinking, cause and effect relationships, ideas like hard work is the key to success as elements of quote unquote whiteness. Okay. Now, Neil says, we might expect to see statements like that on a neo-Nazi manifesto, but not, but on an infographic published by the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. What is what in the world is going on? Um, fast forward here. Listen to here's a few quotes, statements of beliefs from the official Black Lives Matter website. They say they want to quote do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift uplift black what folk trans trans folk unquote and they quote foster a queer affirming network and want to free themselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking and they sell t-shirts that say quote black future is queer unquote Uh, a t- 2021 CNN news article states it's not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth mm. and there is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth. <laughs> There's the news for you, folks. Um, and this was not an opinion piece. This is supposedly news, he says. Uh, let's go on here. Finally, the television show Blues Clues, which is targeted at preschoolers, released a Pride Month sing-along video last year set to the tune of The Ants Go Marching. The lyrics included these stanzas. The babas, the babas or babas are non-binary. They love each other so proudly. Ace, bi, and pan, grown-ups, you see, can love each other so proudly. On and on, that kind of stuff. Um, we can see that these same ideas in dozens of books by scholars Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi. That's who the guy, mm-hmm. the operator, Chick-fil-A operator mentioned. We can also see these ideas in DEI training programs all over the country. Conservative activist Chris Rufo has provided hundreds of pages of primary source documents from DEI trainings at major corporations and schools, all linked with these ideas. For example, at a Walmart training program, employees were told that racism is a, quote, system of racial advantage that benefits white people. Unquote. The POC, people of color, can suffer from, quote, internalized racial oppression, unquote, and that, quote, white supremacy culture includes things like worship of the written word, individualism, and objectivity. Mm. Walmart. AT&T recommends books like D'Angelo's White Fragility and Kendi's Stamp from the Beginning. A middle school teacher's training program in Missouri asks attendees to locate themselves on the oppression wow. matrix listing racism, sexism, classism, ah, forms of oppression, all that. Um, these artifacts are just the tip of the iceberg. So what is the iceberg? This is the tip. And he's right. DEI is the tip of the iceberg. It's like to separate that off from that iceberg, I always say is a fool's errand. 
Um, but what is the iceberg? It's critical theory. Now, if you're unfamiliar, go back and actually you can listen to our episode with Neil where he explains critical theory in depth. Very quickly, four elements of contemporary critical theory. You got this system binary, right? Everything's split into the oppressor-oppressed matrix along the lines of race, gender, class, religion, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. All right, then second, second element is oppression through hegemony. So cultural norms imposed on people by the dominant culture are inherently oppressive. They're defined as oppressive. Um, lived experience is the third element. That's the standpoint epistemology that the operator mentioned. That's what, you know, shut up, white folks, listen to black voices. But uh, what about, you know, Carol Swain's voice? She's she's a white voice in a black face, you know, Larry Elder, the, the black face of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not that that's how they utilize um, to get rid of any um, objective claims of objectivity to push back on the narrative. They they said, no, you you got to refer to lived experience. In this case, it's the lived experience that fits the narrative we want to um, propose. So last one is um, social justice. And so social justice is defined as basically equalizing the outcomes. So you're involved in political and po- policy stuff at institutions to try to to try to make that happen. So that that is a that's that's the iceberg that's below DEI. Neil goes on here. He says positive goals of DEI. He says that some kinds of institutional diversity are good and should be encouraged. Uh, formal equality does not guarantee equality of opportunity. Um, unequal treatment is sometimes fair. He talks about wheelchair ramps, stuff like that. Institutional culture can sometimes unfairly, unintentionally exclude or marginalize. I'll leave it to you guys to read all that. Some of that, some of that raises some decent points that you you know you have to wrestle through. Um, I don't think it ultimately props up though the idea that you should engage in the kind of DEI that he's going to recommend. So even if you accept his caveats here uh, of the positive goals. It, it's not positive enough to argue for implementing these things because of the negatives involved. And so here's DEI gone wrong, uh, redefining oppression. So he, he says, first, DEI programs rooted in critical theory redefine oppression, which leads to a false view of inclusion. In an earlier slide, I showed an oppression matrix used a teacher training session in Missouri. Why? Because critical theorists have redefined the word oppression. Here are some quotes from his book. I'm I'm not going to go through all those quotes, but basically they've, you know, what he called whiteness, all that can fall under oppression. Any cultural norms that that are characteristic or subscribed to by the dominant culture um, can can fall in that. Ibram X. Kinney says the same thing in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. For example, he writes, we cannot be anti-racist. This is an important one. We cannot be anti-racist if we are homophobic or transphobic. That's a statement to really process and to really uh, hear. Those are two separate things, but they're making them one. Yes. You're not anti-racist unless, I mean, you cannot be anti-racist if so they've lumped it yep. all together. And, and, and what does he mean by homophobic? He doesn't mean, oh, man, I'm scared. Uh, uh, no, you know, he, means he means affirm. Yeah, yeah. If you don't affirm that there's systematic yes. racism, 
uh, yes. not affirming the other. If That's you're not it. doing it with, you know, cisgender versus transgender, oh, all these my. things. If you're not working it's, in, it's in a his package view, deal. it's a package <laughs> deal. So yeah. to be queer anti-racist, Kendi says, is to understand the privileges of my cisgender, of my masculinity, of my heterosexuality, of their intersections. And see, that's where Black Lives Matter has really pushed that. You know, they (laughs) they blindsided us with that. Yeah. So it's all it's a package deal for all these guys like Robin D'Angelo, all these guys that that are being hired by these companies to come in and teach DEI all have. And that's what is that's what should be alarming to Christian organizations, because, yes, we love all people, but we don't affirm these lifestyles. Right. Because it's unbiblical. Right. So So that should alert you to check again, you know, check into the racist element. Even when they're talking about that, they're off base. Okay. And again, Kendi's anti-racism, remember, is not are there policies that are unjust? It's are are there unequal outcomes outcomes. among races? If there are, we have to fix that. We have to discriminate with our policies. So you can, you know, the the transphobic. Yeah. what, What you got? He said the only way to fight this is to only way to fight racism is to fight it with racism. Yes, and he's totally fine with that. He's good with that. And recommending that. So Not transformation of the hearts, but just hitting it with Or racism. not even transformation of processes that are unjust. True. It doesn't even matter. Like yeah. you can shift the process to get the outcome you want. Mm-hmm. That's partiality, yeah. according to the Bible, that, that's un, you know, okay. untenable. So redefining oppression, basically in this chart here, you'll see that according to the Bible, oppression is unjust, tyrannical treatment. But according to critical theory that's, uh, that is funding DEI thought, oppression is hegemonic norms. Oppression is whiteness. Oppression is gender roles, heterosexism, cisgenderism, adultism. Those things Ooh. are all under the rubric of what they call oppression. So I'm going to skip down here. Uh, equalizing outcomes. Second critical theorists adopt the word equity rather than equality, uh, as our writer of the article pointed out, Um, even though the two are synonyms in most dictionaries, but they're defining them very specifically and very distinctly. Uh, There's a there's a uh, there's a picture that Neil puts here that's a popular picture that was going around and they're talking about equity here and so there's there's an equal box behind a fence they're trying to watch the baseball game you Mm -hmm. got a tall you know the dad maybe a a young son and then a toddler they can't see you know the toddler can't see the young son can barely see so you have to put you know take the dad's box away because he doesn't need it put it that to give the extra box to the to the little toddler so that they can all see above the fence that's the equity there's so much in that picture. Though. So much it's in so, that picture. It's a lot. If you're yep. watching this video, yeah. <clears throat> so he says, here's a popular cartoon that explains how equity is reconceptualized by critical theory. Equality refers to everyone being treated exactly the same, whereas equity refers to some people being treated differently in order to offset their disadvantages. Now, critical theorists will sometimes insist that equity merely seeks equality of opportunity rather than equality of outcome as in the case of wheelchair ramps. But that's not what his book says. Right. Equity. And so in that picture, I don't know if you guys see, but yeah, what's, what do you see the, I'm seeing like, you know, the parent and the child should be on equal terms based mm. on this equity. It's like certain hegemonies are necessary to make yes. our, that make it, to make it our culture work. Kids are not on the same level as parents. 
but they're trying to make it so that kids can make major decisions on their lives and exclude the parents' input, you know. So that's the outworkings of this worldview. It's like very interesting. And I get it. The child can't see. She wants to see the, the game. Raise them up to the level of the parents. There's a lot in that picture. Go ahead. Yeah, man. No, you're right. Um, you know, one of the other elements when I saw that, and, and Neil will actually say this too, is that I'm like, well, the people advocating this, uh, do they think of, you know, people on the oppressed side of the matrix as kids? Like, it's it's kind of insulting, uh, you know yeah. what I'm saying, to to put someone, if that's the way you're thinking about sure. it, like that, that shows you the mindset right there. Oh, yeah. You've already placed them in this binary and I'll let I'll let him speak to that. But he said, mm-hmm. however, that's usually misleading. What advocates of equity usually assume is that if there are unequal outcomes, then there must not have been equality of opportunity. So effectively, they are committed to equality of outcome, even even mm-hmm. wouldn't explicitly say that, even though they wouldn't explicitly say that in some cases. He 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 references an example by Kamala Harris where she put that video out on Twitter a while back. She explains that the problem with equality is that not everyone starts at the same place. Consequently, some people need extra help or resources to overcome their initial disadvantages. How can we tell when equity has been achieved? She explains, quote, equitable treatment means all end up at the same place. And see, and there's a problem there because some people achieve more because they work harder. Some people don't want to be equal to others. They want to just be them best, their best selves. And that is sometimes unequal. You've got one Michael Jordan. <laughs> you got one Kobe. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, but they want them all on the same. All I mean, any, yep. interesting. No, it's that interesting. So he says, so be careful here. The bait and switch on paper. Equity might look like it is merely an attempt to achieve equal opportunity. But in practice, it assumes that unequal outcomes are all attributable to lack of equity. Anti-racist activist Ibram Kendi says this extremely clearly in his books. For example, he writes, quote, racial discrimination is the sole cause of racial disparities in this country and in the world of large at large. You hear that? Say it one more time. Sorry. Yep. Racial discrimination is the sole cause of, of racial disparities. <laughs> I mean, that's such a ridiculous statement. I don't know how this book ever got published. Um, But if you read a little Thomas Sowell, you'll see like, you know, this is this is one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard. But Neil says, think about that for a second. Do we really think that, say, disparities between North Korea and Sweden or between Africa and Australia or between Asian Americans and Native Americans are solely the result of discrimination? Do we really believe that 75 percent of the of in, players in the NBA are black because of racial discrimination against whites? Good job. But this is exactly what Kendi's claim entail, claims entail. In fact, he, uh, he says elsewhere, if you think that racial disparities are caused even partially by anything other than discrimination, then you are, in his words, an assimilationist racist. Racist. <laughs> racism. Go ahead. Oh, gosh. Um, let me go on to here. Second, we need to recognize that good and just systems produce disparities. Take education. One study found that Asian high school students spend about two hours per day doing homework compared to around one hour per day for whites. Hmm. Now imagine that you have a perfectly unbiased, fair educational system. Do you really think that whites and Asians will get the same grades on average when one group studies twice as much on average? Of course not. Now are, are our systems perfect and just? By no means, but we can't simply assume that disparities are necessarily evidence of injustice. 
so basically here he's saying an equity-based disparity equals discrimination model is too simplistic, Neil um, concludes. Now, here's That's another good. example of where I think he, the language that he's using probably softens it a little bit too much. Because not only is it too simplistic, it's patently false. Too simplistic makes you think, well, it's, it's you know, it, it can be close to the truth or, True. you know, it's, it's like, like it's 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 it it's right in spirit, but it doesn't. Bit, yeah, yeah, it doesn't take into account all the complications. Sure. It's not only that it doesn't take into account all the complications. It's just wrong. It's uh, objectively and demonstrably false Ooh, out of the gate. And so I want to make that I just want to strengthen that point a little bit. Hey, what's going on, fam? Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Uh, we It did end up going a little longer than we had initially anticipated, so we're going to have to do a part two. Uh, try to get that out to you in the next day or two here. But I would highly encourage you, if you can, to, to listen to that part because I think it's honestly probably the most important part of this discussion is, is really responding to the idea that can you do DEI uh, from, a, from a Christian perspective? And that's what we're going to argue against, at least this very good attempt at trying to theoretically lay out a case where that would work and I think it ends up failing and um, I think it's important to note that even this very good attempt by a great thinker who understands the issues did not you know did not land and so um, please take the time if you can to listen to that next episode and we will see you next time Bye.